let's, let's think about the situation where we have the coronavirus going on now. You have people that are rapidly now moving uh, to do things virtually, rapidly. Uh, and it's going to be, my guess is, there's going to be a ramp up in cybersecurity crimes uh, because criminals will never waste an opportunity to figure out how to make money and take advantage of people. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. Um, you know, it is now, where are we at? It is March 26, 2020. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about disruption and the world is disrupting. And now people are moving more to uh, remote. People are already doing that. And, um, you know, now I think with the uh, coronavirus that is just going to accelerate. And so with that, you need to know how you're going to be safe, how you're going to be secure. Many of us have, uh, you know, we have, a, we have uh, security systems all built in our house to protect us physically, but that's not the real danger anymore. The real danger is, is digitally. And here to talk to us about that is Fahid Shahid. Did I say it right? Farida Shahid, yes. You know, your goal and your mission in life is to teach non-tech savvy people how to protect themselves from cyber criminals, which is the it's not even emerging. It's, it's the real thing. And there's so many threats. We've talked about it on this show that uh, many people are unaware of just how much of your information is out there, how vulnerable you really are. And, uh, you know, no one generally people don't like to think about securities or threat until they're threatened. <laughs> but exactly. that is that is the wrong time to think about it because you've already been hit in the face. You've already been robbed. You've already been whatever you want to say. You've already been violated. Uh, the goal is to, well, let's actually prevent that. So uh, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge with us. So, but before we dive into all that world of tech world and all that interesting stuff and tell us about all these threats, we can all be scared to death. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's back up a little bit and uh, kind of, I'd like to give people an understanding of how you actually came into this. Perfect. So it was actually my major in college, so nothing really you know, grand, but it, I started in technology, general technology, kind of was boring for me. I would tell people I would get 16 hours of sleep, go to class and still be sleeping. Now, I mean, don't get that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I mean, I was an A student. I was, you know, Dean's list, all of that, but I still was sleeping. And so I decided that, you know what, there's probably a better path. And someone introduced me to cybersecurity. And I felt that this is a field that I can make the most impact in. And anything that I do, I want to make sure how can I bring the most value to the most people? And security seemed the best way to do that. So that's really a short story of how I, how I got in to security to begin with. Yeah, but you were bored, right? And I've done some research on you. You were pretty much, as you kind of indicated there, you were pretty much bored in college, uh, uh, Fahita, and then you didn't finish, correct? I did not finish, no. Yeah. I'm that person where I'm like, okay, am I bringing value? Am I making impact? No. All right, move on. You know, (laughs) I was so, it was a lot of theory and it was time for me to actually put it into practice and impact people. Though I searched for a job, I searched for something where I can actually, I can actually do something and impact people. And I found a program that connected college students or people, young adults into the corporate world. And that's how I got into corporate. And from there, I learned that my real passion was actually helping people understand security. So in college, I had no idea that that was actually a career path. Usually as a security person, it's usually you're an ethical hacker or you're you know, doing something with firewalls or computers or coding. There really wasn't a realistic view of what is actually out there. So when I got right. into corporate, they realized, wait a minute, Frida has communication skills, Farida is able to have a presentation. You know, a lot of people in tech, they're not really well-versed in that area. So they thought, let's use... Speaking and and, and talking in front of people. Yes, yes. I love tech people, it's true. (laughs) Yeah, everybody has a different skill set. Some people want to just sit behind the screen and just code all day. Yes, yes, exactly. They have this whole, I don't know if it's a quote, but a joke where tech people know each other by their shoes right? Because you're always looking down in the hallway. You're not looking at each other. Yeah. (laughs) And that is extremely true where people aren't really communicating and building relationships. And that's what I thrive on. Even though I'm an extrovert introvert, I still thrive on those connections and human beings. And I realized that I had a deep passion for security, 
but I didn't realize that until I realized how the security world treated people who are end users or non-tech savvy. And the usual way is to think that people are idiots or they're dumb because they don't know security, that they're no, they're no longer intelligent, they don't know how to protect themselves. And I felt like that was a huge, huge disadvantage for us because we're fighting against something that protects our kids, that protects our networks, right. corporations, and to tell the people that are the most integral part of that protection that they aren't good enough, I didn't feel like was actually impactful and it was going to be good. So that's where I developed that real deep passion for teaching people and what I call empathetic security, where it's just one-on-one. Wow. Yes. It's one-on-one -on -one education. I know you're intelligent in your own way, whether you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a teacher, you're a mother, you're intelligent and I'm intelligent in my way. This is just a subject that I know a little bit more about and I'm just going to help you and serve you and impact you and your family in that way. And I felt like that was the better way to go about it versus I'm high and mighty and you don't know anything and why are you clicking on a link again? Yeah, exactly. Why are you clicking on a link and t speaking all these jargons that people don't understand and and, you know, I actually think that that's, that that's a way of showing that that person is not as intelligent. The, the hardest thing you can do is actually learn how to teach. Teaching is very hard. It's a very hard thing to do to actually put yourself up and to be a teacher and, and, and figure out how to communicate in a way, not, not in a way that you understand the language, but to interpret it in a way that anyone can understand it. That's how you can say you really know a subject. So, you know, kudos to you for that. But how do you get people to understand this, uh, you know, uh, uh, Farida, when you look at this, how do you get people to say uh, this is important when people don't like, as I said earlier in the show, people don't like to think about threats until they happen. Uh, how do you, if you're just talking to a new business owner and for our listeners here, they say, well, you know, why am I going to invest in something that hasn't happened to me yet? You know, why, why should they do this? Why is cyber, why, why is cybersecurity a real threat to them? Can you give them a case point or some maybe a story that you've been through that you can walk people through to tell them why they need to really pay attention. Yeah, definitely. I usually start with stories. And one story that I start with was a person I worked with and she let me tell the story. So no one come after me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she said, Hey, we're going to use it. It's all clear. Right. It's all clear. Right. Because it's, it's really important that more people learn from her story. So she was a seven figure business earner earner. And she was in her business for 15 years working from the comfort of her home. She had about five, six people, virtual assistants who helped her in her team, in her business. And she got hacked one day through her website and the cyber criminal, it was a group of cyber criminals or hackers. It wasn't just one person. And once they got into her website, they were able to get into other personal information. And they not only did that, but they got into her internet, her Wi-Fi in her house. Wow. From, right. From there, they got into- Just 18. through her website? Yep. So they, they kind of traversed the network, wherever it was. She had a lot of passwords that she was reusing. So that was one of the big, the big, big things. And a lot of things were left open and vulnerable. So from there, they were in her Wi-Fi. They got into 18 of the family's devices. She had three kids. So they're in all of the devices. They installed spyware, which is just basically spying on your kids, spying on her husband. Then from there, because they were basically in everything, they got into her team's email addresses and they were able to steal passwords from all of her business accounts. Wow. And they were there for a couple of weeks. It took them That's six, a long time. It's a long weeks. time. Yes. And it took her six months to fully get them out and recover from it but she's not fully recovered yet. So it's been two years and she's wow. still feeling that the, the ramifications of that entire incident. And she told me that, you know, you think that you can Google or talk to a security company and that wasn't the case. She went to tech stores and they said, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're dreaming. It's not really true. No one's in your computer and they scanned things and they didn't find anything. And they kind of sent her home, gave her a new computer. But since they were in her network, not just her computer, it didn't matter. Really, right, wow. it, exactly. It didn't matter. And so they were there for a while. She Googled everything she could possibly do. She called these companies, the big security companies that you think, hey, would actually help someone who has millions that she can afford to get a big package. And they said, well, we only have enterprise grade packages. We don't really do that for really small businesses. We're sorry, you know, good luck. It might be this or this, install this thing to scan your program. And they kind of wow. left her alone. 
And it got really, really bad, but she was able to find somebody who was in the security field that sat with her. The FBI got involved as well. She had to pay about $30,000 for the entire thing. And she was just like, that's not the type of money that you think you're going to spend on with security. And so because of that, she invited me to do a lot of different things for her high level, high value clients, because she felt that this is something that more business owners need to know. And usually it's more people that you, more people than you think that are affected by this. You don't see it in the headlines because you're not a fortune 500 company, fortune 100 company. That's what I usually tell people. I mean, the statistics about small businesses and how they're targeted is off off the chain. I usually tell this statistic, which is the most impactful, and this is from the Verizon Data Breach Report, if anyone wants to look it up for themselves, is that in 2018, 58% of cybercrime victims were small businesses. So this wasn't like big businesses, these are smaller ones. And so it's really important to do your own research. Don't just take my my own word for it. Look for yourself and realize, okay, I'm a business owner, And I have a responsibility to my clients, to myself, to my legacy, to make sure that I'm secure as possible. We we don't put legal down like that, like we do with security. If you're protected legally, you should be protected security-wise as well. That's what I usually tell people. Wow, that's... Well, you've actually, uh, you've gotten my attention. So just through the website, he was able, these folks were able to do this and get access just by... So what she did wrong was just having... Her passwords were too easy on her website. That yeah, there led were to other things. Yes, there were a couple of things. So she didn't know the entire story. They got the FBI involved, and the FBI was able to tell her how they got in. And they were saying the website was the most vulnerable. And then from the website, they were able to get into other things like her account and her computer, where the where the website was actually housed. All of those things, and the the web hosting party was not helpful at all. Period. All of the online accounts that she was using did not want to help her. They kind of dropped it. They're like, well, it's not our fault that they got in. You should have had security controls on your website. And so that was her biggest, the biggest downfall. Wow. Mm. So, wow. Okay. So what type of, um, someone has their own website, small business like myself. What are the basics that you should have at the, at the minimum grade to make sure that you are at least have some layer of protection if you, for, for all the small business and owners out there, particularly now? Let's, let's think about the situation when we have the coronavirus going on now. You have people that are rapidly now moving uh, to do things virtually rapidly. Uh, and it's going to be, my guess is, there's going to be a ramp up in cybersecurity crimes uh, because criminals will never waste an opportunity to figure out how to make money and take advantage of people. So this seems like this would be a prime time for uh, the cyber, the, the cyber, uh, the cyber criminal world to figure out how to get involved. I even got a text, if I remember this right, from somebody just a little while ago about uh, something that's happening right now with WhatsApp. If you've heard about this, like WhatsApp, there's like some new virus, like WhatsApp, go, don't click it because if you do, or dance with dance of the Pope, you click these things, they'll hack into your system immediately. I mean, that's just, that's just today. But uh, what do you advise people that heard that story about just one website, where they go now to like, just at least make sure that they're not extremely vulnerable? Like, what are some, what are some basics that we all need to do? Yeah, definitely. So practicing good security habits is a really, really big thing. I usually talk about mindset, because if you don't think that you're going to be hacked, or you don't think that you need to secure yourself, you're not going to do anything. So just work on your mindset, research, figure out why you you actually need this in your life. The second thing is developing habits that help you. So changing passwords that you've you've had for a while that may have been breached. I don't believe in the 60, 90 day change that's actually proven to be not actually helpful. So you don't have to change your passwords every 90, 60 days, but change it if you believe there's a breach, especially on your websites when you have an admin profile making sure that that is a unique password and no one else is using it, enabling two-factor authentication, which is basically another way to authenticate to an account, makes it harder for hackers or cyber criminals to get in your account. You have plugins that are security plugins that can help you keep your site up to date in terms of being protected by the latest hacks. And usually these sites will give you people who are professionals that can help you build out your site in a secure way. And security is one of those things. And I can provide the links and we can put it in the show notes if necessary. Great. That's, those are oh, really like good that. things. Yes. 
No, that, 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 that'll be very helpful. So I'm going to go back a little bit to your background, jump back a little bit. Um, I remember hearing that uh, you, you hated math, which is interesting for a person that is in cybersecurity. It's kind of a technical, no, kind of, it is a technical field. How do you go from hating math? First of all, how'd you get to hate math? And then how do you go from hating math to being a techie? So I actually didn't hate math. So that's probably, that's probably the actual real answer. Um, I, I did hate math throughout my life, but in the beginning of it, I actually loved math and I was a math nerd. I used to do all multiplication on my fingers. I could just give you any multiplication problem and I can do it in my head. And I really, really loved math. But what happened was, and I don't want to blame it all on this, this teacher, but it, that's where it all started. And usually oh, you got a that's teacher where, story too. Right. You're, it's, it's always, you it's and always I have that somebody. in common. Yes. <laughs> it's always something. And they didn't like the way that I did math and they felt that I should memorize it and not do it in my head. And they made, oh, you were they, just too smart for them. They didn't understand. Yeah. They were like, no, we don't, we don't want you to do that. We want you to do it a different way. And it was, I mean, the teacher was relentless. She didn't like questions. So if she did a math problem or she did a lesson, that was it. She would spend 20 minutes on a lesson and then you did the lesson. There was no questions asked. If you ask the question, you're made to feel stupid. And I went through that for about two years. And then I just decided, you know what? Screw this. I don't like math. I don't like anything to do with it. And any time that I was studying it, I always had these blocks. And growing up, my parents were like, you're really good at math. Like, you're really good at this. Why is there a block? So that is where I started to hate math. And I didn't like it at all. But, you know, my fate was always going to be technology. So I had to get over right. it somehow. And going back into college and doing math, because, of course, I'm in a really technical field, I fell in love with it again. And, and it's crazy. And I'm going to say this because I'm, I'm, I'm fine being a little bit vulnerable. But I, I definitely had a breakdown. I definitely started crying once it, that mental block was shifted or lifted from me. Yeah. And I was able to see the joy in math again. And now I'm not going to say that I will love to do math for the rest of my life. I'm not at that point. But getting over that hump was amazing and beautiful. And I had an, a beautiful, intelligent, really resourceful professor that really spent time to make sure that we understood math and understood in a way that was practical to security. And I just, I loved, 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 loved that class. And so I fell in love with it again. But I still have a part of me that's like, mm, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, your, your, your story reveals a few things that I'm sure you're self-aware of now. Uh, in some ways, that teacher has inspired you to do what you're doing now because you're, you are a teacher and you are very cognizant of not talking down to the people that you're working with. My guess is that experience is probably why. And, um, you know, you're also, of course, you're, 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 you're in maths in some ways, you know, it's maybe it's not in a direct way, but in really in a, in a uh, tangential way, you are involved in math. Um, being in tech, you still have to use analytical thinking. So it's the same type of skill set. Uh, you, I'm sure, realize the importance of what you plant in your mind and how that can really take over. And, and, and it's so important to capture those thoughts. And particularly when you're in a position to influence the mind of others. And that's why having a great teacher help to remove that block. So, you know, if you can, if there's anything, can you speak to how that maybe actually uh, inspires you to do what you're doing now? Yeah, you definitely hit the nail on the head. That was, that was exactly what it was. And I grew up in Saudi Arabia. So that was another thing that really fueled it, where I was one of the only, Af not one of the only, I was the only African-American in the entire school. Oh, wow. And so that was, that was an experience in of itself. And going through that, that going, I want to talk about, so note that. Right. <laughs> going through that, having those type of teachers really, really is what gave me that feeling that we should never, ever put anyone down for anything. And when I say anything, I mean, of course, there are going to be exceptions. But in terms of when you're a teacher and when you're teaching somebody, it's important to be there with them and go through the journey with them. And that is where my whole inspiration for the online security movement, empathetic security, and just teaching people, it has come from. And that's where my entire passion is, where I'm very, very aware of how I'm, 
I formulating things. Even I got to the point now where I work my hardest to not say don't do this, but instead say something positive. So instead of saying don't click the link, I would try to say, make sure that you delete something. Or if you see this X out of the email and report it instead of saying don't click the link. Right. I, I try my best. Now, you're probably going to see some posts on Instagram where I said, don't do something. <laughs> Sometimes I, if it works, hey, whatever works makes people receive it. But I, exactly. I've actually, I found out something though in, in uh, communications too. When I tell people not to say something, they say it, <laughs> right? Because mm -hmm. it's in their head. So I just, it's better to tell people what to do than tell them what not to do because they end up doing what you told them not to do. So don't do it. Exactly. So I say, don't eat that cupcake and all your brain is going is cupcake. Cupcake, cupcake, cupcake. cupcake, cupcake. cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't eat the cupcake. Don't eat cupcake. Oh, I want to eat the cupcake. Yeah, you can't help it, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. It's a so safe thing. Safe thing. Yeah, because if you say don't click, all their mind is going click, 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 click. So right. it's just better to be like, okay, X out, you know. So you grew up in Saudi Arabia. Wow. Yeah, well, as a, as a, right. You know, you're, you're an African-American woman who is Muslim. Yes. Um, so we have a lot to talk about here. Let, let's talk about growing up in Saudi Arabia. What did that teach you and what were the challenges? There were a lot of challenges. I like to quote my mom on this to sum everything up. I know we'll go a little bit deeper, but is it was a blessing and a challenge. So the blessing in it was that it really, really made me who I am today. And there was no way that I could be doing empathetic security the way that I'm doing now had I not had those experiences. I also have a really love for culture, languages, food, dance, all of that. So it really makes me appreciate the differences in people and being able to understand someone else's point of view without actually believing it. So it makes me go, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. Understanding some other's point of view without actually believing it. That's, exactly. that's good. Right. So you just you just go, OK, I see. And it really helps when you're studying how hackers operate and putting yourself in the hacker mindset. And that really. Yes, it really helped me with security because I goes, OK, I see. All right. So that's why they would hack a small business as opposed to a bigger business. And it kind of gives you a analytical thought process and it allows you to find solutions really quickly, but in a way that can benefit everyone else. So that's what I loved. Oh, that's fascinating. So. What did you understand but really disagree with in terms of how some things were done in Saudi Arabia? I mean, we can, we, we can talk about America too. So this is just not talking about one country. So don't worry. I have lots of things I disagree with here we can talk about. So. Oh, gosh. Wow. I mean, where do, be, where do I begin? Uh, there, First thing there. to come to your brain. I see something. Something's up there. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever you were thinking right there, Fajita, you say that one. <laughs> Honestly, the biggest thing for me was, oh my God, it, it was really how the, the lack of opportunity. And I think that was the biggest reason why I came back. I mean, I was going to come back anyways. This is my home. This is my country. Right. But it was the lack of understanding opportunities, whether you're black, whether you're a woman, whatever it is, even people who are men who aren't, you know, black, who aren't whatever, they have problems as well because they aren't in a certain uh, tribe. There's like a lot of tribal mentality there, but they're really, really trying to be a little bit more progressive, but right. still there's a huge culture shift that needs to happen and they're aware of it, which is why they're making the shift now. But my biggest thing was really the lack of opportunity for people who wanted to be in certain fields. Right now, I did see a headline, and I didn't do a lot of research on this, so someone else can, can you know, do a little more research. But it was one of the head of cybersecurity somewhere in Saudi Arabia was a woman, and oh, that wow. is a major leap because we couldn't even ride bikes. <laughs> yes, yeah, a major leap for anybody to have the ability to do anything and be a woman in Saudi Arabia because it's yeah, that, that's a big challenge there. It's huge. And so I did not feel the biggest the biggest reason, let me just quick story and why I was like, Oh, yeah. we're not we're not doing this. <laughs> is I, I wanted, of course I was looking into colleges and the first college I can't remember the university, I feel like it was Noor something. And they had a whole thing of how people or women can operate in the university. I love the university period because it was a huge campus and you didn't have to wear your scarf. You could just be on campus. All the restaurants, the, the activities were all there and you never had to leave campus. But the problem was if you wanted to leave campus, you had to have a male escort. Mm. 
Wow. And I okay. was, I was like, wait a minute. No, first, no. <laughs> and my, and my father was in, in technology and he would, he was in charge of some of the most, the things that were really important. And right. basically he was like a doctor on call 24 seven. So, and I didn't have brothers. I didn't have an uncle. I didn't have a cousin. So it had to be a male relative. I didn't have that except my dad. So I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to be stuck on this campus. And so no one was with it. I wasn't with it. My father wasn't with it. My mom wasn't with it. And so that's when I was like, okay, I need to come back and it's just do college here. So that was the biggest thing that I feel that they're going to have to do a lot of work on. Sounds like your parents uh, played a large influence in your life too. Uh, Cause your father sounds like your mother and your father, but they both sound like they're very progressive in terms of your own individual empowerment. And it sounds like they spoke life into you in an environment that was challenging. Um, oh yeah. Talk about why that was so important to you or what lessons that you really lean on from your parents now uh, from your experience growing up in Saudi Arabia. So the big thing there was there's a lot of racism besides the sexism, misogyny. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of that going around. Still exists here too. Right, but. right. Exactly. I mean, I, I always said that I felt like I was in the like Jim Crow laws when I was over there. I really had, I really felt the same as the people that I read the books from in terms of their stories, their autobiographies. I felt the same way. Can you think of an experience that makes that sticks out in your head? Oh my God, so many. But the first thing I can think of was the first few years I was there, I was, it, I was coloring or something. So I went there as a child and I was coloring it was a bunch of kids, all of us like Arabs. I was probably one of the only black people there. I was coloring on something and I wanted to use someone's pen and they wouldn't give it to me because they didn't want a black person touching their pen. That was a big thing. Um, I had situations where Someone didn't want to drink dark coffee because they didn't want to be my skin color. Oh, I wow. mean, <laughs> oh, you have a lot. Sounds like right. They wouldn't sit sit next to me because I was black. I mean, there was there was a lot of lot of things. And talking about you know touching black women's hair, they would be touching your skin, your hair, your eyes. Like this wasn't just your hair. And so for me, and it was funny. And my experience is different because when I came to the United States, back back to the states, when people would ask black women, "Can I touch your hair?" I thought that was a good thing because at least they asked. <laughs> I was like, oh, they asked. Well, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. No. Right. <laughs> because I never got asked. So I was like, this is great. And then other black women were like, no, no, you can't touch my hair. And then I realized that there was a huge culture where I was used to people not asking, but they shouldn't. I mean, the whole concept is crazy anyways. But yeah, that was my reality. So because of that, my parents spent a lot of time giving me books that were empowerment in terms of black empowerment or woman empowerment books. And they bought a lot of those. So they made sure that I was surrounded by black excellence in every single moment. And I was fighting two mindsets, one that I wasn't good enough. But once I got into the house, it was like, you're good enough, you're better, right. and you can excel greater than your wildest dreams. And so that was really the, the push and pull that I went through growing up. So what would you tell somebody now? <clears throat> and let me, let me, let's, uh, let me rephrase this question a little bit. So think about a time when you were struggling with imposter syndrome, maybe when you were young, right? If you can tell yourself something now, what would you tell your younger self now based upon the knowledge you have now? What would you tell your younger self with the knowledge you have now? I think people need to hear that. Yeah, definitely. I would say working on mindset first, and then surrounding yourself with people that have done it that you think that may have thought they couldn't do it. So reading their stories, reading people who you look up to who are African-American, who are brown, whoever it is, whatever demographic you're in, and looking at their stories. The first thing I would say to them really is that you're enough, but it really takes a lot of internal thinking to get to that point. Yeah. So reading things like you know Mindset by, by Carol Dweck or something like that that allows you to see that human beings are just human beings. What really got me through, and I always say I never really got bullied because I would just play mind games on people all the time because I read too many psychos. <laughs> 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 now, now, I was in a situation where I wasn't, where people weren't that, they were physical, but they weren't, you're probably not gonna get shot. So I was in that type of situation. This is not right. gonna work for everybody. But in the, in the school system that I was in, it worked for them. 
and just understanding that everyone is taking out their anger in a different way. And most, they don't even know what they're saying when they're saying it. So when they say that black is ugly or when they say that I can't touch, you can't touch my, your, my pen or I can't sit next to you, they're not speaking from a place of understanding and knowing. They're speaking from a place of ignorance. Yeah. And I really, really had to go deep, even as like, a, especially as a young child, into what, why people have the views that they have and then not react so deeply to them based off of that. That was really, I kind of put myself in a third person in every situation to get through things. Well, that's, 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 that's brilliant uh, that you had to learn that at such a young age. It's challenging, but it's also brilliant. It's something that I'm aware of, still have challenges with. But when, when people say things that are hurtful, racist, whatever you want to say, it's never about you. It's always about them. I mean, we, we tend to take it personally as people, like they're talking about me, but no, they're talking about themselves. They have, they have issues that they need to work out they've been working out, they've been trying to work out or not work out for however long they've been on this earth. And what they said to you in this moment has nothing to do with you. And you're right. If you're able to step back and not react emotionally, you can perceive, which is why you're good at what you do. I mean, it's, you really made the, the, the one, one of the best points I think you made is that uh, it's important that you understand technology, but it's just as important to understand people and how they think. That is, exactly. that is the most valuable skill set. <clears throat> What's a, uh, you have any good books or recommendations for, um, cause I, I, I think I read that you've, um, read 2000 books or something like that. Yeah. I had about 2000 books growing up. So it was probably oh, 2000 books growing up. Oh my yeah, Lord. Shit. Oh, my sorry. Where are you at now? 10,000? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm quite there yet, but almost probably. I mean, I had, I counted it cause I, I was, I grew up as an only child. So okay. I had time. You know? I'm gonna break down. This is somebody I have with some knowledge that I want to learn from. So let me let me give you let me break this down in two sections of books and for not for knowledge because I want to know. Okay, three books, the best books for human psychology. What are the three books for that? And then the best three books just for you know whatever the, the other that your your just top three books. Okay, so the for human psychology. There are so many. Anything by Malcolm Gladwell is just, it's off the chains. It's I good. agree. I read the right, one too. Right. And then Robert Greene is also really good. Yeah. I mean. He's been on this show, by the way. And I listened to that. I listened to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> you best believe I did. <laughs> so he's good. I feel like I reached three there, but Mindset by Carol Dweck is really good as well. Okay. The, um, there was, was it The Art of Imperfection or something? I think it was Brene Brown who did that. But it was, it's basically trying to just be yourself instead of trying everything to be perfect. I'm a type A person. So starting the business really had me look internally and go, okay, Frida, not everything has to be perfect. And it actually is good. So I think it was the art of imperfection, something like that. That was- And the mindset by what's her name? Carol Dweck. Okay. I'm going to look that up. Those are good ones. So starting the business, the hardest thing you do, I think I, I, think I, I read this somewhere as well. I'm, I'm sure I did. You know, I researched you before I did this. Um, you talk about being comfortable being afraid and just going anyway. Speak more to that. Like, what do you mean by being comfortable being afraid? And why, why, is, that, why is that so important? Because I'm type A and a perfectionist, and I want to make sure that things are good and they look good. I had to really get over what are people going to think? What if I fail? Am I doing this? Am I doing this too early? Am I, do I know what I'm doing? Is this something that's going to impact people? You know, am I, is all of those thoughts that you have in your head, am I good enough? I really had to fight that and just do it afraid. And I had to kind of look at what do I have to lose? And then what do I have to gain? And the loss is so much less than there is in terms of the gain. And someone told me once when I was having those thoughts, but I, you know, sometimes you have those thoughts out loud and it's good. And someone stopped me in my tracks and she said, Farida, if you wait five to 10 years to do what what you need to do, there are going to be thousands, if not millions of people that you could have impacted, but because you decided to focus on yourself that you're not impacting. Wow. And she said, you know, you're being selfish. She was like, I'm going to give you hard love right here. This is tough love you're being selfish by thinking about yourself. You need to think about other people and then figure out, okay, how do I take care of myself as I'm helping other people? Not how do I help myself and then take care of other people slowly along the way? So what can make the biggest impact? 
Yeah. Really oh, wow. No, go ahead. No, I was like, that's really the conversation that I had with myself. That's, that's how I got to the point where I'm like, you know, I don't care. I want to, I want to create an impact. I want to do the best that I can do to bring value to the most people in the world. And my mission, my vision, my online security movement is the way that I'm going to do it. All right. And I believe you're going to, too. So um, have you failed before? And uh, if you could think about a moment that you failed or had a setback and how that helped you grow to be a better person? I, of course, had failure during school, even though I was in the dean's list and I was a, I was a top A student or not top A student. Well, look at me. I haven't even. <laughs> but even though I was a good student, I am happy that I had a couple F's along the way. And I'm not saying F's as in the entire world. I'm saying like literally the grade, the grade of an F. And the reason why I like that is because it helped me get through that as I was growing up. Then, of course, in business, when I first got in, I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to be, excuse me, I'm going to be successful immediately. I thought we all I was, think that, don't we? Right. And I'm like, you yeah, know, I'm I've like, got I'm this. So I'm so awesome. Yeah. And we and could it, be. It doesn't, it just doesn't mean anything. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm still awesome. But like, you know, that wasn't the way to do it. And so now, now I'm learning the strategies to do it correctly. And I'm really excited for the journey because it taught me that while I can do it and I did have success through the failures, the, I had to get over the, the concept that, okay, you can be great, but not everything is going to be great. And no, that's and true. Exactly. So I a whole bunch of things aren't going to be great. Mm-hmm. Almost everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't Noth- have to be. Yeah. Nothing, nothing's going to go on a, on a linear path that, that, oh, it's going to go here. We're going to go here. And suddenly I'll have a million clients and a million dollars. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. Like yeah. it's usually up, down, backwards, forwards to get to where to, to actually get to your destination point. And it's always a constant journey. Exactly. Exactly. So what is the, so that, so getting an F was your, was your big moment. It was your, was your like helped you because you, I guess had, it sounds like because you know, and I think you and I had this in common, uh, so I struggled. I actually almost failed two grades, and um, and uh, and because of my early struggles in school, you know, I, I I learned that I could come back, and I was behind everybody else in high school, but eventually, obviously, went on and did very well. But I, what I saw is that other kids that didn't have those type of uh, uh, setbacks and obstacles when they first, like in law school or engineering, when they first got their first F or D, they panic, life is over, and they quit. Yep, they lose right. it. Right. So there is some, as you said, there is some, it's a blessing and a, and, and a great opportunity at the same time. If, if, if you can learn to embrace that, uh, the path of struggle, because no matter what you do, if you're trying to do something that's great, if there's going to be some struggle along the way, um, you know, I, I, I want to get to one other thing you talk about intentional networking and, um, and why that's important, who you surround yourself with, uh, what advice would you give, folks that are just starting off in either business or maybe just starting off in their career about how to network and not just networking for the purpose of just oh going to random places. And let me just see, let me meet everybody here. Like how do you go about networking in an intentional way? Cause you've talked about this before. So I usually network in an intentional way, whether it's on social media or whether it is in person and social media, I said is, is really in a gold mine of people that you can meet. And 99.9% of all my successes in the past few years has been because of social media relationships that I have helped in, in terms of help grow in person. My biggest thing with, with networking intentionally is knowing why you're networking and what you can provide value to someone else. So just knowing your skills, knowing your strengths, knowing what you can provide to someone else and knowing your vision. So I would really work on your why personally before i wouldn't say don't network but focus on that first when you want to intentionally network and then go out and say okay how can i provide value to someone and honestly sometimes you don't know how you can provide value so sometimes i'll walk up to somebody and this has happened many times and i will go look i love what you're doing i love your mission i love your vision here's what i love this is what i do i have no idea how i can support you and how i can be of value but if you ever think of something let me know i would love to connect with you further how can i support you bam you have a connection you're able to build a relationship and they may come back to you one day with a surprising offer of hey can you help me with this right. and you build a really really strong relationship 
because you're not just there to take, but you're there to give because you can take. But in order to be a good receiver, you have to be a good giver. In order to be a good giver, you have to be a good receiver. So it's it's a circle. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it really is a circle. So it's I mean, you know, when you think about intentional networking um, in this current climate where it's, it's you know, there might be some limited uh, physical interaction. Uh, I don't like I don't like the term social distancing. I really think it's physical distancing. Like we're, we're going to still be social. At least I am. Uh, like, how do you advise people on how to do it uh, in terms of do, uh, in terms of networking online? Because I, I do think people are not intentional about it. I think they, they're a lot more sloppy. Like if you were in person, you wouldn't just say, hey, I'm this. Give me your number. Right. You know, you, you still there's still a way exactly. to do this. And I think people lose <laughs> it. There's still an art to actually networking digitally. You don't just you, you, you don't just throw it out there and do it sloppily in a sloppy way. Otherwise, you won't get any results. Talk about how you talk about the process of how you actually go about, let's say, digitally networking for people that you haven't met. You're not meeting in person, but you have to make an impression on online. Like, how do you go about that? And why is it important to actually be intentional and do it in a, in a, in a, in a methodical way? I think research and engaging are the two biggest thing. So things researching the person, seeing how, okay, how can I fit into the picture of their business or their life? How can I provide the most value? My biggest word is low value, 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 impact and value. And when I, I go through their social media, I'll follow them. I'll, I will engage in their posts. If they have a Facebook group, I'll go into their Facebook group. I might ask an admin, okay, what are the things that I can post? And so what I did was throughout the years is I, I would give free security tips or give the latest, I wouldn't give a lot of news stories because that can be really bombarding at times, but just slowly kind of inserting myself, helping other people. And then you start to get noticed because it's like, okay, this is someone who came in, but they're just not going to be in the sidelines and they want some, they only come out when they want something. They're there constantly in front of your face and helping you and bringing value. So really the biggest thing is figuring out who you want to connect with. What is your why? So I know I like to connect with small business owners, people who have or doing an impact, who have a vision, a mission to help people socially, whatever is business, whatever it is. And then I will engage in their communities, engage in their Facebook posts as genuinely as I can. I'm not going to be faking, you know, a Farida. This is really me. And if I really like something, I really do. And if I comment, I really am commenting from the same thing I would post in a friend's post, right? Just being yourself, but also having having a mission to be there for them if, if need be no i mean that makes total sense i mean not making it all about yourself i mean making it about understanding that goes back to what, what what you've said many times over which is why you're good at what you do is that you have to actually understand the people that you're trying to reach actually seek to add value before you take because most people you know they, they 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 log on and say well uh, yes can you do something for me let's do business let give me some money and it's like you know i don't even know who you are we've never met. I don't know anything about you. Like you, you clearly don't know anything about me except for you want to do business with me. Like it's, there is a way to do this and to do it successfully. Uh, you know, you need to be intentional about it. So, uh, you know, okay. I want to get to some legacy questions and, um, you know, but before that, before I get to the, our last kind of legacy questions, I want to talk a little, a little more about the coronavirus at this moment. Maybe this is something that, uh, it'll be in passing and this won't mean much. I have a feeling though, no matter what, even if we are not talking about the uh, coronavirus a year from now, this has made an impact on how humans interact. It has made an impact on anyone that is living uh, through this time. What advice do you give small business owners and regular individuals that are navigating these times about how to move forward in a, in a world post-coronavirus? My biggest thing, since I talk about security a lot, and you, you really gave a preview to this before, is that the cyber criminals are upping their attacks right now. They've attacked WHO, they're impersonating World Health Organization, the CDC. They're putting out a lot of cyber attacks. They're putting a lot of things or scams out there, and people have been getting it. So understanding, as even as the COVID-19 ends or the coronavirus ends, your business will still be impacted in the security way. And being cognizant of that and investing in security is really important as you move forward. Right now, it's, it's really important to be aware of the attacks that are happening. 
So a lot of cyber criminals or, or hackers, they're impersonating local governments, local hospitals, your kid's school, whatever it is for you to click on something, whether it's safety measures, a new cure, a vaccine, new cases in your area, um, more supplies, all of those things is something that you want to be aware of right now because it's happening at a grand scale. And all of it, of course, is to take your information, install yeah. malware, take your money. But moving forward, even as it ends, to still be vigilant, still be aware of what's happening and move your company forward. And we're going to get through this like we have got through so many things before. So it's important to not overwhelm yourself with the news, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's something else, and not overwhelm, with your, overwhelm yourself with the steps that you need to take for your business. I always say that overwhelm is just, it's the biggest roadblocker. You can know as much as you can know, but if you can't move forward, then it's really difficult for you to actually protect yourself, actually move forward in a way that can positively impact your clients, your community, your tribe, et cetera. So well said. So uh, you made a few thoughts circle here in my head. One is thinking about how to tackle disinformation and in and, and the world of uh, digital, uh, in the digital world, you know, anything can be your reality, even if it's not based in anything in fact. And it can feel like the reality because, as you know, and, you know, the algorithms on Facebook and Instagram, there's some great things about them, but the bad things about them is that they will just regurgitate what they think you want to hear, even if it's crazy, not based in the reality. Thoughts about how we tackle our disinformation and, and, and then just not letting ourselves be socially outraged all the time, not, not realizing that what we're doing is uh, really feeding our pre-existing condition of, 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 of our human nature to do crazy things. I think social media does that too. Grandiosity, uh, judging other people. This, this vacuum that we find ourselves in, is, it's, been, it's provided opportunities. It's how we met, frankly, but it's also it also has uh, challenges. What can would, we do to guard ourselves against this? I would say first, it's okay to react to things. So I did say before where, you know, you kind of put yourself in a third person, you look at the situation. We're not really robotic, right? We're human beings. So I have reactions too. When someone says something crazy to me or something that's insensitive, I'm going to have a reaction. But it's important to, because we're all going to be emotional, but it's important to have those emotions behind closed doors with your family, with your friends. Not and then think. Media. And not on, oh my God, not on social media. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you read those posts when everybody says, when they, yeah, when they know everything, they spill out all their feelings. You're like, oh God, somebody talk to this person, please. And that's actually a security threat too, where if you put too much out there, it's easier for them to create something to target you. So that's not just for privacy or just for level-headedness, it's just really just for security as well. I mean, you can put your thoughts out there, just be aware that it's out there and it can, it right. can be used against you if, it, if someone wants to in terms of having you click on something or provide a really compelling phishing email or whatever. And my biggest thing is research and going internally within yourself and knowing that you're human too and that you're not perfect. Yeah. And that's my biggest thing. If I see something on social media, okay, verify it with a couple sources that you know are legitimate, research it, figure out your own opinion, and then go on about your day, whether you're going to try to fight against it, or you're going to decide, you know what, that's not a fight that I'm willing to have. I'm going to fight for something else. Whatever it is, at least be informed in your own way, and then, and then figure out your course of action from there. Yeah, and, and what really concerns me is just the level of sophistication that cyber uh, criminals are getting to. And, you know, this is the last point, and then we'll get to the uh, uh, legacy questions. You know, there, there is now technology that can impersonate my voice, as you know, and it is me, and it, it sounds like me, it is me, uh, for everybody else. So you can have somebody call in and say, uh, Rob, this is Rob, please, please send $50,000 over here. This is the level of sophistication that we're getting to. So I want people to understand that, uh, you know, you, you, we really have to get our, our, our head around this and really think of it the same way you, you protect your physical assets. Your digital assets are more valuable and, and easier to get to. So why would you not have measures in place? So remind me, I honestly want to connect you with um, one of my co-hosts who I think um, could connect you with a lot of folks that you could, that, that, that you, that you really could help. I mean, this is another way of people buy life insurance and things like that. This is a, this is, this is some type of insurance you should have. I mean, you're, 
I definitely want to talk to you even more after I've had these discussions. You're making me think more because I'm, I'm thinking about all the ways people could expose me because it's the nature of what I do. I have everything out here. It's just, it just is what it is. It's, I'm not, I'm always going to be a person. This is my gift to the world. Uh, I'm, I'm always going to do this. So I have to figure out a way to protect myself. Uh, okay. Legacy questions. I have three questions for you. You ready? All right. I'm ready. Born ready. <laughs> all right, cool. What is one important truth you have that very few people agree with you on? Whoa. One important truth that I have that very few people agree with me on. Yep. So it's got to be controversial. It's got to be controversial, man. I'm sure you have some controversial beliefs. I may have. I mean, everyone has something. Everybody Um, does. I would think for me, I feel like it's not because the world is slowly changing where people are being more mindful, but understanding that you're, you are really human. So everything that you see in someone else can be you and you need to stop it before it gets there. So I, I have a firm belief that if you believe that you can possibly never, ever do something, which I have things like that because I can't function, right? <laughs> right. If I believe I can do something, the moment you believe you can never, ever, 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 ever in any which way or form do something is a moment that you're vulnerable. And you should always protect yourself from the mindset that it can never, ever be me. And it's really, really difficult, right? Because you see some crazy things out there that I believe I would never, ever do. But you want to make sure that internally you're stopping yourself from even getting to the point that you could possibly maybe be there. And the reason being is because if you truly believe that you never could get to a certain point, the warning signs when they come up, you will not pay attention to them because you're such in a mindset of it will never happen to me. And Mm -hmm. that really happens with security as well is I will never, ever be hacked. But stuff starts happening. Oh, no, you know, computer is malfunctioning. You know, I think my daughter used my credit card. It's totally fine. I think she was in China last year. You know, I mean, things like that where you're stopped. You're not paying attention to the warning signs. So I believe really that we should all really focus internally more than we focus externally. And we focus so much on what someone else is doing and why they're doing it and no, 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 no. But if we focus more internally about what we are doing, then we can help guide other people to focus internally as well. It will be a better place. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be heaven or paradise, but it's going to be something where people are working towards a greater good because they're fighting the lesser of the lesser part of themselves internally every single day. Very well said. Very well said. All right. So next question, you have a billboard or a Google ad, just to be more uh, 2020. That is a saying that says what you believe. What does that say and why? The first thing that popped in my head was I am human. Yeah. And, and you've explained that. Yep. And I explained that before. And I have, that's my deepest thing where everything I do is understanding that I can have emotions. Other people can have an emotion and to be empathetic to other people. And it's going to be really difficult. I'm not a person that believes in everyone. You know, you have to forgive everyone. You have to love everybody. That's not me. It may seem (laughs) (laughs) that may be my controversial thing. I probably should have said that. I don't believe that. You know, I mean, you don't have to forgive everybody. You don't got to love everybody. But you do have to understand that they're human and go about your way. You don't have to engage. You know, not engaging is not evil and engaging is not great. It's, it's, there's not a black and white. There's always a gray area. And that gray area could be, you know what? I don't have to forgive this person. I don't have to love this person, but I also don't have to do bad on them. I don't need to be an evil person. And I can just leave and do what's best for myself. And that's my biggest thing is I would always say I'm human. My, my Toastmaster speech were about that. My blogs are about that. Everything I do is about that. So I would say I am human is what I would say. Well, it's very well stated. And that was it. That's a good, that's a, that was a good controversial statement, particularly, you know, a lot of the black community. Um, and I, I am Christian, but I think I have a very um, progressive view on what I believe it is to be a Christian, by the way. And so, cause I view it as like me loving you doesn't mean that I have to like you. It doesn't mean you got to come over. It doesn't mean that it, 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 it doesn't mean I excuse what you've done. It does mean that, you know, I don't allow myself to, to uh, absorb the hate that you're giving off. And so exactly. that, that's what I think it means. And I, I don't think we are. Uh, and, 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 you know, when, when horrible things happen, 
and uh, you know, black folks particularly are are almost expected to forgive like immediately, like without any without any reflection time. Like I'm like, this is crazy. Like forgiving, I'm not saying forgiving isn't a graceful thing to do and isn't a spiritual thing to do, but you're not entitled to forgiveness after you do something horrible. And I think that that's been almost the expectation when something happens to the victim that particularly when the victims of color, like I don't remember those conversations. Uh, with other people like, oh, well, are you going to forgive them? Like, I don't, I don't remember people asking people after their loved one is murdered, are you going to forgive them? Like, right. do you hear, <laughs> like, do you exactly. hear people asking? I, I honestly believe that forgiveness sometimes is used as a weapon of people who are inflicting pain on other people. I agree. It's used as a weapon, and I don't believe it should be. I believe that forgiveness is something that's absolutely beautiful, and it's something that is a choice that someone has to personally make for themselves yep. and come to the conclusion for themselves forever long, whether it takes them five minutes, five seconds, 10 years, 20 or years, a or, or a lifetime. But they have to come to that. You should never say you should forgive, right? And you don't, and there's this huge concept of you have to forgive in order to heal yourself or move on. And that's not true either. You can heal and move on without forgiving somebody. Forgiveness doesn't have to be something that's hold, is something that's holed up inside of you and you, you can't let it go. Sometimes like, I don't forgive you for doing that. And I really am upset that you did that. However, yeah, I understand. That's your that controversial you're truth. That's good. Right, right. Yeah, and this I, is good. I, right. And I understand why you did that in your own way, or I don't understand why you did that. I can't forgive you for that, but I do wish you the best. And I, and I need to focus on my healing and my self-care right now. And that could be your release because release for everyone looks different. For maybe for most people, really, and I'm not saying this as someone who has, I, I can't forgive anybody. I'm just trying right. to look at it from both points of views and understanding that it does not one-sided. Nothing ever in life is black or white. There's no always good and always bad. There's, there's always going to be nuance to every single thing, which is why we're so fascinated by these murder stories or people who are doing crazy things because they go inside of the mind of the person or why they did it. Even if they did it for a reason, it doesn't forgive what they did, right? right? And so it's important to have that, I believe, to have that mindset of it really is up to that person. And personally, for my belief is forgiveness can be really good and not forgiving could be really good. It's really in the intention behind it and in what is impacting personally for you. Because forgiveness is really used as a, you got to forgive me. You know, someone does something bad to somebody and it's automatically you got to forgive them. But the person who's a victim is left in pain, is left in turmoil, is left in pieces, left broken. And there's no way out for them but to try to cover it up with forgiveness. Wow, that's that is really deep. That is your important truth. Very, very few people agree with you on. That's a good one. All right. I'm glad we got to that. That's the real answer. That's a good one. That was the real answer. Cause I kind of like, <laughs> we got to it. We got to the real heart of it. That's all, that's all, that's all that matters. <laughs> Final question. You have a committee of three living or dead who can be your advisors in life, business, personal, whatever. Tell me who those three advisors are and tell me why for each one of them. Wow. The three advisors. That is amazing. I would, I already have one living. That's my mom. Who's just an, an amazing person. And so she definitely would be in the committee, but she's already in the committee in my heart. So she doesn't actually need to be sitting there. Right. I would, that's a really good question. And I got to think about that a lot, but from the top of my head, based off of what you I read, said, you read 10,000 books or 5,000. I, I know you got some. Right. Right. So I'm going to pull out probably Robert Greene. So I would love to meet yeah. him and have a conversation and figure out, you know, just there's a whole mind behind the books. That'd be amazing. We'll try to arrange that. I'm going to try to get him back on. Perfect. Perfect. That I'll sounds great. Calls. That's good. I love that. I love that. And another person would be Malcolm Gladwell. I'm really into psychology, human nature. So it has to be those two. And then another one in terms of building an empire would be Oprah. Oh, and yeah. understanding how to... got to be not the Oprah. Yes, yes. You got to get in. I want to build an empire. I want to impact people in that way. So having a business mind, not the, not to say that Malcolm Gladwell or Robert Greene does not have a business mind, but to have her perspective on things as another African-American woman in business in a field that is not meant for, I'm not saying not meant for people like her to succeed, but they just didn't see that coming. I would right. love to have it's not, it's not meant for her for people like her to succeed. It's not, it wasn't <laughs> built for people like her to succeed. She succeeded anyway. Mm -hmm. Just like this field is not built 
for you to succeed as a black Muslim woman? Are you kidding me? I'm going to do it anyway. You're going to do it anyway, because (laughs) we're about breaking narratives and constructs on this show. Uh, I want to have you back on a regular basis because I really, uh, I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I think you have a lot to offer our community and I would love to help you build your podcast and uh, please have you on as a regular guest to do that. Farida Shahida, Shahid, did I say it right? Farida Farida, Farida Shahid. Yes. Right, right? Yes, you got it. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, Don't make yourself a stranger and we'll be in touch soon. Thanks so much.